if you haven't been a part of this, this has been a seven-week season that's taken 14 weeks to complete. It's the I Am Statements of Jesus, and we are on the very last one. How fitting. Let's just dive in, okay? Ready? Here we go. Last statement from Jesus. Jesus says, John chapter 14, let's start in verse one. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my Father's home. If it were not so, would I not have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am and you know the way to where I am going. So what did Jesus just do? He's talking to his disciples and he says, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And he's very clearly talking about heaven. And he says, There's, it's in my father's house. There are many mansions. And if it were not so, would I not have told you? All you have to do, what does he say? Is nowhere, and you know the way that I am going. I will come and get you so that you will always be with me. Verse four, and you know the way to where I am going. He's saying, I am going to prepare an incredible place for you. You know the way to that, and all you have to do is go where I am going. Now, let's call to mind for a moment. This is not like a cold call in sales. This is a years-long relationship seeing miracle after miracle. Jesus just rose a a dead man from the grave, right? They all know that Jesus is doing these profound miracles. He is the Messiah, the one from God. They're all seeing this and they're experiencing this. And he's saying, all you have to do is follow the way. And I'll take you to the greatest place you've ever experienced. I'm preparing it for you now, my father's house. Listen to their response. He says, and you know the way to where I'm going. No, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. Thomas, no, we don't have a clue. What are you, what are you, what are you talking about? We have no idea where you are going, so how can we know the way? Thomas, really? He just said, all you have to do is follow me. I'll show you the way. I've got the place prepared. I've done all the heavy lifting. You've already seen everything that I've done. All you have to do is come this way. And Thomas says, no, no, like, what what do you mean? We don't know where you're going. So Jesus responds, John 14, verse 6, Jesus told him, I am the way the truth and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you, are, if you had really known me, you would have known who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Philip, you're joining the stupid club. Like, we've got Thomas, who's like, I really don't know what way you're talking about. And Philip is like, can you just show him to me, like, so I can trust you? You know, and here's what Jesus replied, verse 9. Have I been with you all this time, Philip, yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Listen to what he says. Or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. 
If you're not going to listen to my words, will you please just listen to everything, my body of work from now to the first time you met me. You can trust that, feeding of thousands of people. You can trust that, touching a leper and them getting healed. You can trust that, sight to a blind man. You can trust that, dead man raises out of the grave. Like If you can't believe what I'm saying to you, just take a look back and believe something, Philip. Because I am the way, the truth, and the life. I told you I have a friend who's really hung up with the way, the truth, and the life. He's really, really hung up with the statement that comes after that, that Jesus says, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So here's what I want to do. I want to walk us through some, some theological thought on the front end about that statement. And then I want to build the case to why Jesus gives us the perfect answer to that question. How can he be the only way, the only truth, and the only life? So stick with me here in the beginning. First, there are three million people worldwide that would be considered unreached. Three million people worldwide who are unreached, who've never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And one culturally convenient thought that you hear often is, well, if they've never heard the gospel, then God will still let them into heaven. That sounds really wonderful. There's only one problem. It's not biblical. It sounds great, right? I can get on board with that from a heart perspective, from loving people. The only problem is it's not what the Bible says. So what does the Bible say? Romans 1, 18 through 20. By the way, here's the case that we're going to build. Number one, we have no excuse. Nobody on the face of the planet has an excuse for not following Jesus. There are no excuses. The second is we all need a Savior. We all, have to, we all have a need for a savior, for atonement, for forgiveness. And then third, somebody has to be right. We can't all be right. Somebody has to be right. So let's walk through this. Number one, we have no excuse. Romans 1, 18 through 20, it says, But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature. Here it is. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Here's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, whether it is by dreams, which by, by the way, in the Middle East, there are thousands of Muslims getting saved through having dreams and encountering Jesus. Whether it's by dream, whether it's by nature, whether it's by creation, whether it's by the vastness of God, whether it's the experience of birthing a child, whatever that may be, God is actively revealing himself. And he is revealing himself through the preached word of God and through people sharing the gospel. He said the problem is sinfulness and wickedness get so rationally minded that they cannot see the truth. And that's their problem. Paul says there is no excuse. Here's the one problem today if you came in here and knew nothing about Jesus. You are leaving here with no excuse. Your decision, not mine, and I won't force you into anything, but I would put this upon your shoulders that now you have no excuse whether or not you decide to follow Jesus or you decide to follow something else. We have no excuse. We all need a Savior, and somebody has to be right, okay? Let's, let's keep going for a little bit. Let's build our case here. The second is we have no excuse, or the first is we have no excuse. Second is we all need a Savior. Romans 3, 22 through 23. Paul again. 
We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are. For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. We all need a savior because we've all sinned. We all need atonement because we've all wronged God. We're all unholy and God is holy. So to enter into his presence and to be in relationship and fellowship with him, we have to have atonement for our sins. We have to have a savior. Paul doubles down in Romans 3, 9 through 12. He says, well then, should we conclude that we Jews are better than others? No, not at all. For we have already shown that all people, whether Jew or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. Not even that wonderful, great-hearted, beautiful person that is serving and, and so gracious and kind to everyone they meet and they would never hurt a fly. They're still not righteous. No, not one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good. Not a single one. We all need a Savior. There is nobody in here that is perfect. There is nobody in here that is sinless. There's nobody walking the planet that is perfect. There's nobody walking the planet that is sinless. It's not how good you are. It is whether or not you are sinless before God because God is holy. So we have no excuse. We need a Savior. And now here is where I get frustrated with the, the ideologies of today. Somebody has to be right. Okay, somebody has to be right. We can't all be right. As Christians, here's what we believe. Acts 4 verse 12, there is salvation in no one else, Peter declares. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Okay, so let's, let's do some comparisons. Number one, Jesus says love your enemies. Muhammad in the Quran says to kill non-believers. That's Surah 9.5. You can read it for yourself in the Quran. Two totally opposite approaches, Right? Can't both be right. Either one is right and one is wrong, but they can't both be right. Think about Hinduism and Islam, okay? Hinduism believes there are many gods. Islam believes Allah is the one true God. Can't both be right. There's, they, they fundamentally cannot both be right. Buddhism and Judaism are both mutually exclusive. In other words, they believe you cannot be a part of anything if you are a part of them. So if you're a part of Buddhism, you cannot be a part of Christianity. If you're a part of Buddhism, you cannot be a part of Hinduism. If you're a part of Judaism, you cannot be a part of Christianity. If you're a part of Judaism, you cannot be a part of Hinduism. They are mutually exclusive faiths. Atheism and theism. Atheism denies God's existence. Theism embraces it. Hear me when I tell you this, and this is simple study for you in an afternoon. It is not the learned way or the educated way of any world religion that we all go to heaven. It's not. Study them. Look at Hinduism. Look at, Buddha, look at Buddhism. Look at Islam. None of them agree that we all serve the same God, worship the same God, and go to the same place in the end. They don't. Now, people will tell you that. But they have no, I mean, it's, it's just, it's, tell me all you want. What do the creeds of your faith say? What does the learned education of your faith say? Because a lot of people believe a lot of things that can be dismantled in about one or two sentences. 
What is, what, I, I hear what you think and how you feel and what you'd like for to be true, but what does your faith actually say? None of them agree, which means this. Someone has to be right. Someone has to be right. We can't all be right because if we're all right, we're all wrong because nobody agrees, right? So somebody has to be right. So if you ask me this question, Luke, there is a man in West Africa who lives in a village and he has served his family faithfully and he has taken care of the village and he has cared for his children and he's raised wonderful young kids and he has been innocent and perfect and good his entire life. Does he go to heaven? I would say absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, for sure. Here's the question. Is there anyone walking the face of the planet that's perfectly innocent? Is there anyone walking the planet that's perfect? You don't need a savior if that's the case. If you are perfect and you are innocent and you've done no wrong and you've never sinned, you don't need a savior. Don't call me a heretic. I'm saying that person doesn't exist, right? Person doesn't exist. The perfect person walking the face of the planet that's never sinned, that's never done anything wrong, that's done everything right their entire life, that's always, that, that is Jesus. That was Jesus in the flesh here on earth and before him and since him, nobody else has done it. So somebody has to be right. What do we do with all of this, okay? We have no excuse. Nobody has a single excuse. We all need a savior or atonement of some kind, and somebody has to be right. What do we do? I'm so glad you asked. Jesus answered the question. With Jew and Gentile arguing, nobody understanding what is going on, synagogue against Gentiles, and everyone is this melting pot of mess, Jesus steps up to the plate and he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody gets to the Father except through me. How does that impact us? Three things. The, the points are easy. Way, truth, and life, right? Number one is this. Jesus declares he is the way. What does that mean? That means Jesus' atonement reconnects us to God, all right? So Colossians 1, 19 through 20, Paul puts it beautifully. He says, for God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. The reason you can be sinful and rebellious and unholy and have a relationship with God is not because you can fix all of that, but because Jesus died for that. Because Jesus took that to the cross. Because Jesus was the atonement for your reconciliation. That's what it's all about. It's not how good you've been or how many great things you've done. It's how do you get in the presence of God being a sinful person? Through the atonement of Jesus. We have to have atonement. 2 Corinthians 5.15. He died for everyone so that those who received his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. A little further on, Paul continues, and all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to God. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, 
no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. In other words, and you've heard the illustrations and you've heard the stories, there is God and there is us and there is this giant barrier called sin in the middle of it. We have this, this screen. Anybody got things at their house they just can't stand, but you know, happy wife, happy life type deal? You get it? Uh, we have this screen door that drives me nuts. I have to fix it all the time. It's one of these, it's, it's like a frame, and it's just, it slides back and forth, right? You just slide it shut, you slide it open, and she wanted it because there's a bug in the house, and her and Zadok are so scared of flies, it's, it's ridiculous. And so I had, to, I had to, like, keep the bugs out, and the kids are running in and out. So it's this, it's this sliding deal, right? Rips all the time, got to fix it. Doesn't wind up all the way, got to fix it. All the screen doors messed up. But I, I can't stand this thing, and at night... You can't see it. Yeah. You, you know, here is, here is probably, I've probably got a little PTSD. It's why I hate this thing so much. But it was, it was July 4th, and we were all in the backyard, and we were lighting off fireworks, and we were having all this fun. And I went inside, and I closed the screen door, and I was getting something. And then they were lighting up, and they were like, Dad, 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 come here. And so I take off running to save the day, Right? running through the kitchen, I run through the living room, and I run right into this stupid screen that you cannot see, right? And this thing, for the first time in the history of its life, decides to lock in and have some resistance. <laughs> it's like your seatbelt, right? You can just pull it, and then you can pull it, and then when you pull it, it locks, right? It's a stupid screen door, right? It always has leeway until I'm running full speed, thinking one of my kids blown their hands off, and I hit this thing, and it hits me back. The problem is there's like a, a four-inch threshold from my step down. So I got enough of it to get down the first step, and then when it slinged back on me, it pushed me back and it took my feet with it, right? It was a calculated attack. So my feet go out from under me, I fall into the door, I hit my head on the doorknob, roll over into the couch, and I'm like Christian cussing my brains out, you know, this freaking fracking screen door. And Anna looks at me and says, what happened to you? Looked like someone assaulted me right in the door. Looked like someone just jumped in and started beating me up. She goes, what happened to you? And I said, there's this stupid screen door that I can't see at night that we have to have in this house, right? There is a barrier that I can't see. That is sin. Now, when that barrier becomes clear, when you see the brokenness, when you see the sin, when you see the rebellion, it is in that moment that you don't have a choice. It's in that moment that you have to decide what you are going to do with what is blocking you from a relationship and intimacy with a holy God. That is why Jesus came. That is why Jesus died, and he died with the weight of the sins on his back, on the cross to forgive us 
and to reconcile us. And so what is our message? As Paul said, our message becomes this beautiful reconciliation. Our message becomes this. You don't have to live as a product of your past. You don't have to live in the wounds of your past. You don't have to live in the shame of your past. You don't have to live in the sin and failure of your past. You can have intimacy and relationship with God because Jesus opens that ridiculous screen door, right? He lets you in. And he lets you come through. That's, th- that's what he's saying when he says, I am the way. He's saying, follow me. I got a really killer place for you, and I want you to see it. All you have to do is come with me because I have given you entry. That's the first thing Jesus says. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, and I am the only way. Because there is no other world religion that would pay for your atonement. It's a guessing game until the end. Unless if you live in Islam and you believe in jihad. That's the only way to get to paradise. That's it. Outside of that, it's a guessing game. Outside of that, it's I don't know. Outside of that, it's I'll leave it up to God. And God will decide it's not up to me. No, for us, we know. Why? Because our Savior came to earth, lived a perfect life, died on a cross for our sins, and rose from the dead. So we have a way. We have a way. And somebody has to be right. That's the way that I've chosen. Because over and over and over again, being a sinful man who deserves no relationship with God, who deserves no presence with God, who deserves no favor from God, who deserves no love from God, who deserves nothing from God, is showered with it continually by the blood of Jesus, by the, by the majesty of Jesus by the reconciliation that only Jesus can provide. Okay, now we move on to number two, the truth. The truth is essentially the battle for your soul. There is is a battle happening for your soul, and it is the battle of truth. John 8, 44. Jesus says, For you are the children of your father, the devil. You love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He's always hated the truth. What does the devil hate? Come on, what does the devil hate? He hates the truth, which would mean the abolishment of truth is a victory for him, right? Your truth, my truth, everyone has their own truth is a victory for who? Because there is no truth in him. He wants no truth. Listen, he was a murderer from the beginning. He's always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. A tactic of the devil is the complete dissolution of truth. Why? Because the foundation of belief is truth. Right? The foundation of belief is truth. So uh, I would say to you, trust and truth go hand in hand, right? If, if I don't tell you the truth, you can't trust me. And if you can't trust me, you can't believe what I say. Why? Because the foundation of belief is truth. You have to have truth to have belief. So a movement to abolish all truth or distort all truth or to give truth subjectivity to your own opinion, your own feelings, and your own agenda is to do what? It's to create no truth. It's to dismantle all belief. 
It's to put belief in the hand of the beholder. And listen, if, if my truth is you die and are stoned for living in a certain lifestyle and someone else's truth is you are celebrated and exalted for living in a certain lifestyle, we have to have truth because those two truths will not become truth together, right? So the abolishment of truth is the destruction of belief. And whose tactic is that? It's the devil's. From the very beginning, he's hated the truth. From the very beginning, he's wanted to destroy the truth. In fact, listen, I, it gets even better. 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, he's called the man of lawlessness. When we refer to the Antichrist and the spirit of the enemy, here it is. Don't be fooled by what they say. For that day will not come until there is a great rebellion again, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the one who brings Destruction. Cling to that word lawless. Second Thessalonians 2, 7 through 8. For this lawlessness is already at work secretly. So there is a lawlessness of the destruction of truth that is brewing beneath the surface. It is lurking beneath the surface and it is trying to convince you that we can all have our own truth. We can all have our own thoughts about what is true and what isn't true. And if what I believe is true is not true to you, that's okay. You have your truth and I have my truth. It's absolute destruction of truth. For this lawlessness is already at work secretly and it will remain secret until the one who is holding it back steps out of the way. Then the man of lawlessness, remember that word, will be revealed, but the Lord Jesus will slay him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him by the splendor of his coming. Here is the result of no truth or lawlessness. 1 John 1, 6 through 7. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. 1 John 2, 3 through 5. And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey his commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That, that is how we know you are living in him. Okay, so we have the man of lawlessness and we have a lifestyle of not living in the truth. It's the same Greek word. And that Greek word literally means to reject, not truth between you and me, it means to reject the first part of the word, the etymology of it is alpha, it is the alpha word. In other words, it's what they called people who broke Jewish law. It's what they called people who broke the law, the truth. Not, it's not, hey, I asked you if you ate the cookie and you told me you didn't eat the cookie, but you ate the cookie. You lied, that's all. No, 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 it is, we have a standard of truth given to us by God, and you are breaking that standard of truth. That is the definition of lawlessness, which is why Jesus comes about and says, I am the way and I am also the truth. I am the foundation for what you are able to believe. Listen to Jesus, John 8, verse 31 through 32. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciple if you remain faithful to my teachings, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Freedom is not everyone living by their own truth. Freedom is living by a truth that is beyond you. Living by a truth that is beyond me. 
living by a truth that is beyond us because if truth stops at us, how many different opinions do we have in this room? We're in big trouble in defining truth. Truth has to live and exist and breathe and direct us from above us and now within us by way of the Spirit. John 14, 15 through 17. If you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, that is Holy Spirit, Numa, who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. Again, lawlessness, not living in the truth the world is not looking for. It is only by the spirit that we can live in a truth that sets us free, but also governs our belief. Have to have truth that governs our belief. A belief without truth is no belief at all, it's an opinion. So there has to be a truth above us and beyond us, superior to us, instructing us so that we can live it out. That's John 14, moving on to verse 17. He's the Holy Spirit who leads us into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. Truth is the anchor to our belief. It is the thing that gives our belief, it is not the thing, the person that gives our belief foundation. And it has to be beyond me and it has to be beyond you or we will never agree on our opinions. But truth is greater than me. Truth is greater than you. And as Christians, we believe truth is found in the word of God by the son of Jesus through the spirit that now lives in me and instructs me. It is the anchor for my belief. If I were living my truth, I could do whatever I wanted to do. If I'm living the Spirit's truth, I can't do whatever I want to do. And that's good. That is not lawlessness. That is order. That is peace. Chaos is a bunch of people doing whatever they want. Order and peace and truth is a bunch of people resisting themselves by the power of the Spirit under an influence of a truth greater than them. There's an anchor to their soul. There's an anchor to our soul. There's something that grounds us when our longings want us to do something else or our friends want us to do something else or our passions want us to do something else. We have an anchor. It, my, my son has gotten really into basketball, super, super into basketball. And he is just, man, he's such a good athlete. It drives me nuts. This kid, he, he'd never played soccer before in his life, stayed the night at a friend's house, went to the friend's soccer game. The coach asked him if he wanted to come in. He scores three goals, wins the MVP of the game. Never done it before in his life. Like, this kid, just, he's just crazy athletic. He's into basketball. So Anna, one of our neighbors, gave us a hoop, and we went and we wheeled this hoop over into our driveway, and we got it in our driveway, and we filled it up with water, and this kid played for hours. He and I played horse. We played pig. We played Jordan. We played words I don't even know how to spell. Like, we played everything, right? And so afterwards, we went inside. And when we went inside, we came out the next day, and it was Saturday, he's like, Dad, let's go play basketball again. I'm like, okay, bud, let's go. And we walk out there, and I touched, touched the basketball goal, and the whole thing starts coming down over, right? I catch it right before it hit Anna's car. I, would have been in, I probably wouldn't have been here today, right? <laughs> Somebody else, another guest, right? But what had happened was the thing that was anchoring it ran out. 
There was a hole in the base, and all the water that we had in it had ran out. And when the base wasn't there, all it was was a touch. Listen, if your truth is things of this world, those things run out. If your truth is something your friends are telling you, something you're watching on YouTube, people you're following on Instagram, or whatever the case may be, if it is finite in this world, money, if it is fame, if it is any of those things, those things run out. And guess what happens when the truth that is anchoring your soul runs empty? You become a basketball goal with no weight. You just topple over. There's nothing grounding you. That's what Jesus is saying. Saying, I'm not only the way, but I'm the truth. I'm the anchor for your soul. I'm the anchor for your belief. I'm the stability that you long for. I'm the clarity that you need. I am the identity that you seek. I am the truth. And then he finishes with life. This one is about as self-explanatory as it gets. John 1, starting verses 3 through 4. Says God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word, that is Jesus, gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. John 5.26, the Father has life in himself, and he has granted that same life-giving power to his son, John eleven twenty five. 25, Jesus told her, I am the, we did this one already, resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. How does the book of John define life throughout the narrative? It defines it like this. Life is the source of all things granted to the son that sustains us forever by the spirit. What is life? Life is the source of all things granted to the Son that sustains us forever by the Spirit. So what is life not? Life is not what you do daily. Life is not the chores that you have. Life is not the task list that you have. Life is not raising your kids. Life is not the vacations you're going to take this summer. Life is not the new friendships and relationships that you long for. Life is not the plans you and your fiancé have for your future. That is not life. Life is not 30 years of marriage and looking back over great memories. That's not life. Those are the things that happen within life, but life in and of itself is a something is a person that sustains you forever. That's what Jesus is saying. Saying, I'm not involved in the day-to-day of your, I am the thing that will sustain you across the course of your entire life. That's the life that we're talking about. It is an unlimited supply to your soul of a source that anchors you, that sustains you, and that carries you for all of your days. That is Life, and that is what Jesus means when he says, I am the way, I'll show you how to get there, I am the truth, you can be foundationally set in me, and I am the life, I am the only thing that's going to give your soul life day in, day out, every waking moment, every sleeping moment, until the day you die and you're reunited with me in eternity, I am the life. 
One of my favorite childhood memories, I think I told you this a long time ago, my grandparents, their home was one my grandpa built basically 80% of with his own hands. My grandpa was just such a stud. And he built this house and it had no well and it had no running water. So he had this old pickup truck bed. Anybody seen those trailers made of pickup truck beds? You're not from the country until you've seen one of those, right? It is literally like they cut the bed off a truck Put a hitch on it, and you just hook it up to your truck. So you got two beds going, right? You got one bed, and then you got the bed with the water tank in it, right? One of my favorite memories as a kid, my grandpa would say, oh, it's time to go get water. Yes! So he had this mason jar full of quarters. We'd get in his truck, and we'd ride forever to where this huge pump was, and he'd pull the tank up to it, and he'd fill up the tank, and he'd, keep, and he'd give me the quarters. So I'd stand there, and he'd say, put another quarter in there. I'd drop a quarter in there, and he'd keep pumping water, and it'd start to slow down. He'd say, one more quarter, and I'd pop another quarter in there, and he'd keep going, and then he'd say, okay, I think we're done. I'd just get so excited. I'd drop another one in there. And, whoa, 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 it's overflowing, right? We got water everywhere. We'd close the tank. We'd go back to his house, and then he had this pump, and he would stick this hose inside there, and he would pump it right into a tank under the house. And so uh, they had a limited supply of water, and my grandma was the water police. Oh, my goodness. Drove the whole family nuts. Like, you'd be doing dishes, like literally sitting there, dishes, and she'd walk up and shut the water off. You got enough water on that plate? There's water in that sponge. You don't need more water. Brushing your teeth. I'd be staying the night over there, brushing my teeth. I'd turn it on, boom, and I'd start brushing. She'd come in and shut the water off. You don't even run the water with it. No, you ain't doing nothing with your teeth. Just on and off, on and off, and then, you know, brush it. I'm like, what is wrong with you? And she would always say, you're going to run me out of water. Luke, you're going to run me out of water. Luke, if you don't stop, you're going to run me out. Rex, shut the water off. You're going to run me out of water. Right? Goodness, this lady. Well, they moved because my grandpa got diagnosed with Alzheimer's and they, they had to move out of a house that required so much work and they moved to a house in the city. And I remember one of my favorite moments with my grandma. I was just messing with her. She was sitting there and she was doing the dishes and she turned the water on and she was rubbing a plate. She'd rinse the plate off and she'd put it. She don't believe in dishwashers. Old people don't believe in dishwashers. They're like, we don't need that stuff. You just, let me show you how we used to do it in my day, right? And she's washing these plates and she's cleaning them off and she's putting it there and the water's running. And I walk up to her and I shut that water off and I said, Joe, you're going to run me out of water. <laughs> and she looked at me, she flipped that thing back on and she said, baby, I'm not running us out of water. We're on city water. It's an unlimited supply. And she just kept going, kept working the plate, and kept washing her dishes because she found something that was unlimited. When we talk about the way, the truth, and the life, when we talk about life, not the things you got to do this afternoon, not the tasks that you have. When we talk about life, we have an unlimited supply of joy, of peace, of hope, of favor, of love, of grace, of mercy, of purpose. Why? Because our source doesn't run out. Our source doesn't go dry. If your source of life is anything in this world, it dries up, it goes away, it doesn't have what it takes to sustain you every day and every moment of your life and after your life. Only Jesus can do that. So when he declares, I am the way, he shows us where to go. When he declares, I am the truth, he shows us what we can stand on. When he declares, I am the life, he shows us the only thing that will satisfy us every waking second of our life and even after life. It is him. So let's go back to where we started. 
And I'll tell you what, is, what has really been itching in my soul. Three billion people that don't know the gospel of Jesus Christ. Three billion people that are considered unreached. We know the way. We know the truth. We know the life. Look, if you're with me and you call yourself a Christian, this is what we stand on. That Jesus is the way, Jesus is the truth, Jesus is the life. What do we do with that? With the whole world dying and going to hell, what do we do? Because we know. It's not like it's a great mystery to us. We all know the way. We all know the truth. We all know the life. Thankfully, Jesus tells us in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. What do we do? I don't know, but we got to do something. What do we do? I, I don't know, we got to do something. Something. Maybe for you that's having more gospel conversations at work. Maybe for you that's having as many gospel conversations as you can. Engaging your neighbors, inviting them over for dinner, and having as many gospel conversations as you can. Maybe for you that is changing careers because you're around a bunch of people that are already saved and there's another group that needs to be saved and God is calling you as a missionary to this. Maybe it's like all of our college students are on missions trips right now all over the world sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe that's it for you. Maybe God's calling you to go somewhere else to do something else to lead something else because the most important thing is this. We know, therefore, we have an obligation to do something. Whatever you do, do not create your own Christian bubble where you don't have to worry about the, the stress and the challenges and the difficulties of the world. And me and my four Christian friends are just going to live holy throughout and we're going to have our own little place and our own little thing and our own little... That is not gospel work. Gospel work is saying, I will go. I will go because now I know the way. Now I know the truth. Now I know the life. Now I know that the entire world is desperate for it, and Jesus has called us to it. So let's do something. What do we do? I don't know, but we've got to do something.